chapter 2, verse 1, Then he said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet that I may speak with you. Well, why does he say that? Because Ezekiel says, I fell on my face when I heard the voice speaking. <laughs> so did John. John heard Jesus speaking, saw Jesus, recognized this was Jesus, and fell on his face like a dead man. Ezekiel falls on it. This is what you do when you see God. Down you go. That's why Paul says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Why? Because everybody suddenly comes to faith and trust and love in Jesus? No. Because you can't do anything but fall on your face, bow, and confess He is Lord when you see Him, as we all will. And so he said, Stand on your feet that I may speak with you. And as He spoke to me, the Spirit entered me and set me on my feet And I heard Him speaking to me. Now, in light of this majesty and transcendence and overwhelming holiness of God, there is an absolutely stunning truth. I want you to think about it this way. Did Jesus ever quote Ezekiel? And the answer is, no. Not once. He quotes Isaiah extensively. He quotes Deuteronomy. He quotes much of the Hebrew Scriptures throughout his ministry and teaching, but there is not a single quote from the prophet Ezekiel that passes through the lips of Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry. Now that doesn't delegitimize Ezekiel because Jesus legitimized all of the law and the prophets. And the law and the prophets, as Jesus referred to in his ministry and in his day, did in fact at that time include Ezekiel. So, Jesus certainly saw Ezekiel as the legitimate uh, prophecy that His own Spirit gave Ezekiel. But He never once quotes from Ezekiel. However, what is the one name Jesus used for Himself more than any other? Son of Man. Son of Man. Of all the prophets, Daniel is called Son of Man once. None of the other prophets are ever called Son of Man. Ezekiel is referred to in this prophecy as Son of Man 93 times. This is the name by which God calls Ezekiel. Son of Man, Son of Man, Son of Man. He says, Son of Man, stand on your feet that I may speak with you. Son of Man, he says again and again and again. Why? Now think about this. Why would Ezekiel be called Son of Man? Because Ezekiel is the human link between God and a lost people. Why would Jesus be called Son of Man? Same reason. Because Jesus is the human link between God and a lost world. Luke 19.10, Jesus says, For the Son of Man, speaking of Himself, has come to seek and save that which was lost. Now here's the stunning thing. Both attributes of Christ are absolutely crucial for followers to understand. His majesty and His humanity. If you only grasp one, you miss what He's about. If you say, Jesus was just like me, He was a guy like me, He was a good man, He was a good teacher, good prophet, miracle worker, but He was just a man. If you miss His majesty, you cannot be saved by Him. Or if you say, Jesus is the stunning God who is above all and over all and untouchable and unknowable and and I cannot have that relationship. He's just too great for me and you miss His humanity. You cannot be saved by Him. 
It is only in recognizing both the majesty and the humanity, the the eminence and the eminence. Eminence with an E. Speaking of his royalty, eminence with an I. Speaking of his, less prayed a few minutes ago, his nearness. He is both completely other and absolutely near. The link between God and man. And he is the link who has the power to save and the compassion to understand us. The Son of Man. He is the Christ. And Ezekiel sees the Christ and hears him speaking to him. And now we come to number four in your notes. Two things together, the call and the commission. The call and the commission. Verse 3. Then he said to me, Son of man, I am sending you to the sons of Israel, to a rebellious people who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. I am sending you to them who are stubborn and obstinate children. (laughs) And you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God. As for them, whether they listen or not... For they are a rebellious house. They will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, neither fear them nor fear their words, though thistles and thorns are with you, and you sit on scorpions, which I would not recommend. (laughs) Neither fear their words nor be dismayed at their presence, for they are a rebellious house. So with Ezekiel's calling... With his commissioning, the Lord sets out the clear conditions of the call. Here's the deal. I just want you to know right up front what I'm sending you to do and who I'm sending you to, and it's going to be thorny. And it's going to sting. And you're going to get bit. And it is going to hurt. But this is marvelous. The Lord never sends someone into sticky conditions without confidence. And the confidence that the Lord injects into Ezekiel here as he says they will know that a prophet has been among them. I'm sending you into a thorny place, Ezekiel, but they're going to know you're my prophet. There's not going to be any question, any doubt as to who you are and who is behind you. I'm with you in this. If you get stuck, remember, I'm with you in this. Christians, if you get stuck, if you get poked, if you get stung, don't forget Your commission is from Jesus Christ. He is with you in this to the very end of the age, Matthew 28 tells us. Verse 7. But you shall speak My words to them, whether they listen or not, for they are rebellious. Now you son of man, listen to what I am speaking to you. Do not be rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I am giving you. The Lord's not asking Ezekiel to come up with persuasive words. He's not saying, okay, Ezekiel, here's what what the deal is. I need you to detail... I want you to come up with some arguments so you can really defend the faith. I want you to be an apologist. And you've got to work all this stuff out. And actually what would be a good idea is if you come up with a business plan, a marketing strategy, (laughs) and we'll talk about that, and then you can get out there and, and do your thing. Maybe some tactical sales campaigns. That could be helpful here. I'm driving out 20 today. Had to go south to pick up my, could be son-in-law, don't know yet, maybe guy, going to pick him up. <laughs> and as I'm driving out there, big big church sign, You maybe you've seen it, 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 it has a CH and then two lines and then another CH and it says, know what's missing? You are! And I'm like, Oh, come on! Well, that sounds like something I would say. You know? 
And I saw that and I was just struck again. And I've been involved with so many marketing campaigns for the church, I can't even tell you. You know, that's not why people go to church. Yeah, I saw your slogan on the road. You know? And I thought, that'll change my life. <laughs> A friend handed me your mug. I was I was I was at someone's house and I saw you on a pen. So I thought I'd come. That's just that's not how it works. And and it's but it's what we tend to do. It's that human aspect of us, we tend to market and strategize things. And and what does God tell Ezekiel? Open your mouth and eat what I'm giving you. I want you to feed on my word. And then I want you to go out and speak what I have fed you. That will draw people. That brings people to the Lord. Not all of our plans. Paul says it so clearly, 2 Corinthians 2.17, We are not like many, peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity, but as from God. We speak in Christ, in the sight of God. We're not peddlers. Evangelism is not peddling. It is not selling people on something. What we have, you can't buy. What we have has been purchased for us by the blood of Christ. And that's all we have to do is tell people about that. This costs you nothing, but it costs Jesus everything. And if you want it, it's yours for the asking. That is not marketing. Far from it. We just speak the word. God says in Isaiah 55, 11, My word, which goes forth from my mouth, will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without it succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. And that's the deal. And so God says, Ezekiel, open your mouth. (laughs) And He does. Verse 9, Then I looked and behold, a hand was extended to me and lo, a cannoli was on it. No, no, a scroll. A cascroli was on it. And he spread it out before me, and it was written on the front and on the back, and written on it were lamentations, mourning, and woe. And I will warn you that the first 32 chapters of Ezekiel are warning. Because the first 32 chapters cover the first seven years of his ministry from his calling to the fall of Jerusalem. Following the fall of Jerusalem, the next 15 years of his ministry are consolation, restoration, prophecy, and it's awesome. He warns, and then when the people won't heed the warning and the worst happens, God turns around and He now is the parent who holds the recently spanked child in His lap and loves him. And that's what we're going to see. But right now, what Ezekiel has to eat first, well, it's lamentation. Morning. Whoa. Verse 1 of chapter 3, He said to me, Son of man, eat what you find. Eat this scrolly. <laughs> and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he fed me the scroll. That's what you're doing right now. You are opening your mouth spiritually as it were and you are being fed the scroll of the word of God. This is how it works. Verse 3, he said to me, Son of man, feed your stomach and fill your body with this scroll which I am giving you. And I ate it and it was sweet as honey in my mouth. The word of God always is. Going in, it tastes good. It is sweet. It is sweeter than honey. Sweeter than the drippings of the honeycomb, Psalm 19, the psalmist writes. It is marvelous to the taste. Quickly run over to uh, Revelation 10, Revelation chapter 10, because we see John has the exact same experience. Revelation 10, verse 8. I'll just let you catch up while I begin reading. 
Then the voice which I heard from heaven, I heard again speaking with me, saying, Go and take the book, or literally the scroll. So John got a cascrolli too. <laughs> Go take the scroll which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel telling him to give me the little book or the little scroll. And he said to me, Take it and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter. But in your mouth, it will be as sweet as honey. Same as Ezekiel. Goes in, mmm, tastes good, but it hits the stomach and it starts to... Oh, I need an antacid. <laughs> Something's not right here. Tastes good, but it causes bitterness? What is this scroll? It's the Word of God. You might say, well, great, we're an hour into teaching and I'm going to get a stomach ache later? What's the deal with that? <laughs> the Word of God does this game. It brings sweetness to our mouths, but bitterness to our stomachs. It's bitter because it's the truth, and the bitter truth is there are people who reject it. The bitter truth is there are people who do not want to hear this. And you take it in, and it's sweet to the taste, and you rush home thinking, yes, this is great news, and you go to tell somebody, and it's rejected, and it becomes bitter. The sweet and sour Word of God. And the only option we have when it gets bitter in our stomach we got to get it out. We've got to get it out. He says, I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it. Revelation 10, verse 10. In my mouth it was sweet as honey, and when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And they said to me, you must prophesy again. In other words, John, get the word out. You must prophesy again concerning many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. John has the same experience back to Ezekiel. As Ezekiel has, verse 4, he said to me, Son of man... Now remember, he's eaten this honey-sweet scroll. Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak my words to them. He's not going to go to a house. He's going to return to those there at the river Kabar, the house of Israel being all of God's people there at Kabar. For you are not being sent to a people of unintelligible speech or difficult language, but to the house of Israel. <coughs> Nor to many peoples of unintelligible speech, uh, or difficult language as in the babbling Babylonians whose words you cannot understand. But I have sent you to them who should, note that word, should listen to you. Yet, the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you since they are not willing to listen to me. This word is already starting to get bitter. Tasted good. Ezekiel's got this vision. He's got these words coming from the Lord Himself. Wow! Amazing! Sweet! Wonderful! They're not going to listen when you share this with them. Bitter. Surely the whole house of Israel is stubborn and obstinate. Verse 8, Behold, I have made your face as hard as their faces and your forehead as hard as their foreheads. They're hard-headed. I'll make you hard-headed. Don't worry about it. Like emery, harder than flint, I have made your forehead. Do not be afraid of them or be dismayed before them, though they are a rebellious house. Jeremiah had the same confidence in his commission. Remember, he's getting commissioned here. Jeremiah was told, Behold, I've made you, Jeremiah 1.18, I've made you today as a fortified city, as a pillar of iron, and as walls of bronze against the whole land, to the kings of Judah, to its princes, to its priests, to the people of the land. So back in Judah, Jeremiah is hard-headed by the Lord. He's got a hard skull to take all the knocks of the people. And now here by the river Kabar, in Babylon, Ezekiel is being hardened to his task. Toughened up by the Lord to do what needs to be done. 
By the way, this all sounds an awful lot like the conditions Jesus came into. Of people who are not going to listen. Who are not going to accept who you are. Isaiah 50, verse 7, one of the servant songs. Spirit of Christ saying, The Lord God helps me, therefore I am not disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like flint, and I know I will not be ashamed. I remind you all of this because our commission calls for hard heads and soft hearts. Our commission calls for thick skin and deep compassion. The ability to take the knocks of the world and the threats and the thorns and the scorpion bites and yet continually, day by day, pour out the compassionate love of God in Jesus Christ. Our calling is very similar to Ezekiel's to Jeremiah's, and to Jesus. Jesus will quote Isaiah in Matthew 13, 15, saying, The heart of this people has become dull. With their ears they scarcely hear. They close their eyes. Otherwise, they would see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and return, and I would heal them. And every prophet in Jewish history, including Jesus, ran up against this kind of situation. And you all know why. Jeremiah 17.9 Because the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? The real danger to being a prophet of the Lord, the real danger to accepting the commission to which we've been called, which is to make disciples, the danger is discouragement. It's always discouragement. So how do we counter that? How do we in this world continue on this path with thick skin and soft hearts, loving people, speaking out the Word of God, getting the bitterness out of the belly? How do we do this without becoming ourselves discouraged? Here's the key. Look at verse 10. Moreover, He said to me, Son of man, take into your heart all my words which I will speak to you and listen closely. There it is. You want to walk this Christian life without ever getting discouraged, you keep in the Word. You listen to the Lord as we talked about on Sunday, Hebrews 2.1. For this reason we must pay closer attention to what we have heard so we do not drift away from it. Don't drift. Because in staying in the Word, we have our confidence as we listen closely and our course is made all the more sure as we take His Word into our hearts. Verse 11, he says, Go to the exiles. To the sons of your people, speak with them and tell them, whether they listen or not, thus says the Lord God. And then the Spirit lifted me up. I like the sound of that. The Spirit lifted me up. And I heard a great rumbling sound behind me. Blessed be the glory of the Lord in this place. The cherubim. And I heard the sound of the wings of the living beings touching one another and the sound of the wheels beside them, even a great rumbling sound. So the Spirit, he says again, lifted me up and took me away. And he says, I went embittered and in the rage of my spirit and the hand of the Lord was strong on me. Listen to this. The Spirit lifted me up. Does he? Do you experience that? When we worship, does the Spirit not lift you up? And, and as you hear God's Word, as we look into these things, does not the Spirit lift you up? But there's an aspect I think we've got to realize. The result was quite different with Ezekiel. He has this remarkable vision. The Spirit lifts him up. But he is not happy. 
He does not, you know, holly go lightly. <laughs> he's not tripping about, and, and, and he's not, you know, we're not talking visions of sugar plums here. Um, being in the Spirit isn't all about raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens. <laughs> Bright copper kettles or warm woolen mittens. Brown paper packages tied up with string. Now these are a few of my favorite things, but that's not what the Spirit does. And we need to understand this very seriously. The Hebrew word bitterness here, mar, means fierce anger. Ezekiel is angry here. And the word rage there, chama, is fury and heat. Furious, hot, red anger is how Ezekiel is feeling right now. Note this, when the Spirit lifts him up. What are you saying, Rick? I'm saying Ezekiel is fuming mad here. Why? Because Ezekiel is in the Spirit and the Spirit is angry. The Spirit of the Lord is fuming. Yes, The Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, all of these things. That's what He produces in us. But understand, to be in the Spirit is not always to be joyful. Because the Spirit is not always joyful. Sometimes the Spirit is grieved. Do you realize that you can be in the Spirit and find yourself grieving? That as Ezekiel is, you can be in the Spirit and find yourself angry. Not anger to sin, but a righteous anger. To be in the Spirit is to feel as He feels. This was a kind of a revelation for me. To be in the Spirit is to feel the way God's Spirit feels. However that is. And however it is, it's always right. And it may be a grieving and it may be an anger, but if the Spirit is feeling it and you are in the Spirit, it is the right emotion at the right time. And at this moment, God's fuming. The Spirit lifts up Ezekiel and now Ezekiel is angry. Fierce anger. Romans 8.5 says, Those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. What are the things of the flesh? Well, the flesh always wants to feel good. And the flesh always wants everything to be tasty and comfortable and easy and light. But the mind, those who are according to the Spirit, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. And sometimes those things are heavy, serious, and in this case, angry. Verse 15. Then I came to the exiles who lived beside the river Kabar at Tel Abib, and I sat there seven days where they were living, causing (laughs) consternation among them. Number five in your notes, the consternation. The consternation, I think, is the last one we're looking at here. Psalm 137, verse 1 says, By the rivers of Babylon there we sat down and we wept when we remembered Zion. If Ezekiel had written that, he would have said, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down in silence. Because the consternation is a consternation caused by silence. And we see this, we'll see this in just a second here. There was no weeping. There's no stomping around. Ezekiel's fuming in the spirit. He is angry in the spirit. 
fiercely mad in the spirit. But he sits down by the river Kabar with the exiles and he does not speak a word for seven days. He's just sitting there, ticked off. This is what I would call a disquieting quiet. (laughs) The consternation that he's causing among the people is because Ezekiel's not saying anything. Ezekiel the priest, he's already a leader of the people there. And he's not talking to anyone. Now the first day, maybe they could cut him some slack. The second day, don't you think they were saying to one another, what's up with Ezekiel? I hadn't said hello. I said, what's going on, Zeke? And he didn't even respond. You know, Third day, fourth day, seven days, absolute silence. <laughs> My wife knows. When I get real quiet, it's usually not a good sign. When I withdraw into myself, I don't know if any of you are this way, but when I really withdraw into myself, that's when I'm ticked. Much rather have me verbalizing, but when I get quiet, because I tend to be kind of a verbal guy. I don't know if you picked that up. But when I get quiet, I'm angry. Too angry even to speak. That's where Ezekiel's at right here. So angry he cannot speak until, until the Lord gives him his word. Verse 16. At the end of seven days, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, I have appointed you a watchman to the house of Israel. We're going to see this repeated in Ezekiel's ministry when he cannot speak a word until the Lord gives him his word. Hold on to that thought for a moment. Watch what he says. I'm calling you a watchman. I'm appointing you a watchman to the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, warn them from me. Okay, so when is he supposed to warn them? When he hears a word from the Lord's mouth. Otherwise, shut up. Don't talk. Don't blurt. You just speak when I tell you to. Verse 18. When I say to the wicked, you will surely die, and you do not warn him or speak out to warn the wicked from his wicked way that he may live, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. He says, verse 19, Yet... If you have warned the wicked, and he does not turn from his way, from his wickedness or from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered yourself. Remember what Paul says, let not many of you become teachers, for in so doing you will incur a stricter judgment. This is the call of Ezekiel. You're called to be a watchman for my people. You better warn them when I tell you to. Because if you don't, and they die in their sin, their blood is on your head. He goes on, verse 20, Again, when a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity and I place an obstacle before him, he will die. Since you have not warned him, he shall die in his sin and his righteous deeds which he has done shall not be remembered, but his blood I will require at your hand. However, if you have warned the righteous man and the righteous Uh, that the righteous should not sin and he does not sin, he shall surely live because he took warning and you, Ezekiel, have delivered yourself. This is the call and commission of Ezekiel. No wonder he had so much consternation. No wonder he was so quiet. I do not want to misspeak here. The Lord calls Ezekiel a watchman. Watchman quickly on the city walls had two jobs. The watchman would stand on the wall of the city And the first job is warning. That's the most obvious one. He would stand and he would keep guard and he would walk back and forth along the wall to make sure the city was safe to warn the people in case of an enemy or an approaching threat. 
And the watchman had a second job, and that was timing. Warning and timing. Every hour on the hour, the watchman would call out, Nine o'clock! And all's well! Ten o'clock! And all's well! And if the watchman did his job, the people were on the alert, and they knew the day and the hour. Ezekiel, you're a watchman. This is your job. We're going to see when we get into the late 30s, 36, 37, 38, Ezekiel completely fulfilling the job, not just for Israel, but for us. As he's going to give us, not the exact day or the hour, but he is going to give us the season. He is going to give us a sense of when all the things that he's prophesying are going to come to pass. But here's this watchman. If he did his job, the people were saved. If he did not do his job, guess whose blood was on his hands? The people's. He was responsible for the city. Jesus said in Matthew 25, 13, Be on the alert then, for you do not know the day or the hour. If the watchman fails at his post, the blood of the city is on his hands and it was punishable sometimes by death if he was caught off guard. And Paul understood this. Paul, in fact, drawing from this very thing, says in Acts chapter 20, verse 26, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. What do you mean, Paul? Verse 27, Acts chapter 20, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. If we don't speak the word given to us, I put the question out to you, are we responsible? If we hear the word and we don't bring the warning, if we know the time, if we know the season, and we don't tell people about it, I'm not going to go so far as to say their blood is on our hands, but we sure need to think so. But if we speak the word, we are innocent of the blood of all men. See, that's our job. Again, not sales campaigns. Just speak the word. Just tell people about Jesus. Share the gospel. Let them know, yes, I do believe. You're going to think I'm nuts, but I do believe the time is short. How many people have you told that? Or are you afraid that if you say... I think we're in the last days, people are going to think you're nuts. Or worse, they're going to throw thorns at you, or scorpion bites. This is our calling, gang. And I will admit to you freely that there are times when I'm sitting up here and we're talking about the coming rapture of the church, and we're talking about the end times things. And and I say to you, could be this afternoon... Could be this morning, could be tomorrow, could be before I'm done teaching. I know that there are some people who hear me say that, and the first thing that comes to their mind is Rick's just trying to, you know, emote. He's trying to motivate us, you know, he doesn't really think that. I do think that. Well, then you're nuts, Pastor. Thank you. And I will be crazy all the way to the skies to meet Jesus. And I invite you, in fact, I challenge you, each and every one, not to be afraid to tell people time is short. I love you too much not to tell you, I believe, and if you think I'm weird, so be it, but I believe time is very short. Why do you believe that? Well, because the watchmen of Scripture have made it very clear. Ezekiel did his job. And he's still doing it to this very day. Verse 22, let's finish. 
The hand of the Lord was upon me there. He said to me, Get up and go out to the plain, and there I will speak to you. So I got up and I went out to the plain, and behold, the glory of the Lord was standing there. How does the glory of the Lord stand there? It's Jesus. Absolutely. Like the glory which I saw by the river Kabar, and I fell on my face. Which means Ezekiel was somewhat of a flathead. (laughs) Because he keeps falling on his face over and over. It's the right approach when you see Jesus. You worship. And then he says, verse 24, The Spirit then entered me and made me stand on my feet. This is what the Spirit does. He enables, He empowers, He strengthens for the job. And He spoke with me and He said to me, Go, shut yourself up in your house. Now, gang, this is a warning. You need to get home and close the door. As for you, son of man, they will put ropes on you and bind you with them so that you cannot go out among them. They're going to try and stop you. Moreover, verse 26, I will make your tongue stick to the roof of your mouth so that you will be mute and cannot be a man who rebukes them for they are a rebellious house. Well, this is fantastic. Thank you so much, Lord. Ezekiel, here's your ministry. Locked in, bound up, and dumb as a doornail. You cannot speak. Go. (laughs) What? Are you serious, Lord? What kind of a ministry is that? It's the best kind. Look at the next verse. But when I speak to you, I will open your mouth. And you will say to them, thus says the Lord God, He who hears, let him hear. And he who refuses, let him refuse. For they are a rebellious house. Some of the most powerful ministry you will see performed by Ezekiel happens in abject silence. As he lies on his side for a year. And then when that's over, God says, I want you to flip over to the other side. Man! And he flips over, and he doesn't speak. But the people get it. I need to learn that. (laughs) You're probably saying right now, yeah, you do. I need to understand something here. And I think we all do. And it's simply this. We need to learn how to speak when he gives us his word. And how to be silent when he has not spoken. And it is for this grace I will pray in just a moment. Proverbs 10.19 says, When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. But he who restrains his lips is wise. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, may we like Ezekiel be watchmen in this world. Standing on the wall, eyes wide open, calling out clearly of the warning the threats, the danger, and calling out the time. May we be more, Father, articulate with our faith, but articulating the words that You speak to us and nothing else. I pray, Father, as with Ezekiel, You would constrain us not to speak stupid things, not to get involved in senseless arguments, not to get into debate which has no purpose, but simply to speak the truth of the Gospel, to proclaim the wonders of Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, the Son of God, to speak when you speak, and to be silent when you are silent. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.